welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, action, and choices that you can make to bring more joy into your life, into the world, and into other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 222. This week on the show, I am really excited to have podcaster and transformational life coach, Laura Lai, joining me. She is the host of the amazing podcast, Quietly Bohemian, and she took my Jumpstart Your Podcast class to learn how to start her show. The reason I wanted to bring her on is the very first episode of 2020, where the whole theme for the month of January will be planning your year, is because Laura and I talk so much about transformation, about how to lean into your true nature and accept who you are from the inside out, whether you be an introvert or an extrovert, and how you can pull inspiration from the things that inspire you most, whether that be a band like Depeche Mode or OMD, (laughs) or the reading that you love to do as a child. It is such an amazing conversation, and I feel so very honored to be sharing her with you guys this week. Before we get to this conversation with Laura... I want to give you the three big things that are happening on Jumpstart Your Joy as we embark on this brand new year. First, the show has jumped from being once a week to twice a week. You will now hear episodes twice a week, both Tuesday, the one that you've come to know and love will be this longer format where it is either a guest or a solo cast. And on Thursdays, I've introduced what used to be just in a newsletter format. And that is three joyful things where I talk about the aha moments that I've had either with the guest or with a quote I've found or something that I've discovered. And then I break down the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to bring more joy into your life based on the information in the stuff that we talk about on Tuesdays. It's so much fun. And I started doing them in December. So if you haven't listened to the last couple please go back and listen. You will also want to make sure that you are subscribed either to the newsletter where I will send out a link for that podcast episode on Thursday, or that you are subscribed on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts for Jumpstart Your Joy. And that way you'll get those Thursday episodes automatically (laughs) downloaded to your mobile device every week when they come out. And then the other exciting thing that I'm going to be doing, and I kind of hinted at, was each month there will be a theme. I had done this back in season two, and I'm really excited to be revisiting it because I think it brings so much, it helps frame everything for us. So this this month, January, is Plan Your Year, and we'll be talking to Laura this week. Next week, I am having a guest, Casey Jordan, who is the host of Steady She Grows podcast on with me. I met her at She Podcast. She's so much fun. You guys will love her. Then the amazing Dr. Izzy Spencer of Lunar Abundance will be joining me the next week. And finally, we will round out January with the delightful Molly Larkin, who is a nurse who works with people on body size and body image. And I just, I love the lineup that's coming together for January. So I hope you'll come back for all those. If you want to find out more about Jumpstart Your Joy, you can find everything on the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. If you want to find the show notes and lots of links to Depeche Mode and OMD and fun things that we talk about, it'll be on the site for this specific episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 222. (laughs) 
And while you're there, be sure and sign up for the newsletter that comes out on Thursdays. So you'll get all of the inspiration, intention, action, uh, behind the scenes stuff, either in written format, right into your inbox, or you'll also get the notice that the new episode is up on your favorite podcast player. So I just cannot wait to share this episode with you. Laura and I have known each other for for a while, and it's really fun to get to have her on the show. She talks about being an introvert and a highly sensitive person. She also talks about how she approaches transformational work with people, which I think is really interesting. And yes, we do talk at length about lyrics of songs and how they can inspire us and how we keep returning back to songs that we love. And we talk about Depeche Mode and orchestral maneuvers in the dark. So if you love the Brit synth pop, be ready. (laughs) You're just going to love this conversation with Laura Lai. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Laura. Thank you, Paula. So excited to be here too. Oh, it's such a delight. So Laura, why don't you tell us, if you would, what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? What I loved most in school was reading. And I won a reading competition. I remember I won a book because I'd read all the books in the school. I'd actually run out of things for them to give me to read. And I could choose any book and I chose a children's illustrated Bible I don't even remember being particularly religious then, but I really remember that book. Wow. That's so, amazing. Um, yeah. So like without hesitation, reading. Do you have a recollection of what some of your favorite stories were about? Not at that age, because that was primary school. So I was sort of five or six then. And then I can remember by the time I was around 11 going to high school, I was already reading stuff like 1984 by George Orwell and Agatha Christie books. I was into adult books. And when I say adult, I don't mean X-rated. Right. (laughs) Reading X-rated books at 11. Right. So, yeah. So my grandmother got me into kind of the stuff that she was reading. So it was a lot of murder mystery stuff. That is so cool. And so cool that you also had some guidance in your family around this is a thing that we do, like we read and and it's cool to read and so special. Yeah, my nan taught me to read before I went to school. So Mm. I think that, I guess that helps in reading their whole library, if you can actually read before you get there. But it kind of goes hand in hand, I think, with me being an introvert and liking to spend quiet time on my own. Yeah. Not necessarily saying that only introverts enjoy reading, but I think it's, you know, something that definitely goes hand in hand very well. Yeah, I could see that. I was kind of, so Laura and I know each other pretty well. And so I was wondering too, and I'm I'm so glad you kind of tipped your hat to the introvert side of your personality. And if reading a way to experience things that is, it doesn't, it seems more like home to someone who is introverted. Yeah, I don't know actually what it is. I need a lot of alone time. So Mm -hmm. time to recharge my batteries on my own. And I guess a lot of that time I do like to spend reading. And I think it's an imagination thing as well, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So there's something very different from reading a book and creating that world in your mind or perhaps recreating that world in your mind because I guess the authors created it originally than from watching a film where somebody has created that in a different way for you. So I think it's that. I wouldn't ever say that I'm somebody who has large imagination, and that's probably not true. (laughs) But, you know, just the way I kind of see myself. But I think perhaps 
there's some element of that in there of just being able to create that for myself. Yeah. And there is something really special about as a child. I mean, I love it now too, but I felt like I could go anywhere and be anyone and be part of a magic that, I mean, my, my childhood was lovely, but there was a, a piece of magic that maybe was in, embraced in reading that wasn't a part of my everyday. I don't know if you found mm. that to be true as well. I think so. I'm really wary of using labels because I think we, in some ways, they kind of give us some freedom to be who we are and to feel okay with who we are. But I think they can also restrict us. Mm -hmm. Um, In some ways, they're not true because we're not anything 100% of the time. But as well as being introverted, I would say I'm highly sensitive. I don't think I actually would have been able to articulate this as a child. But I think another thing I enjoy about reading is I just, I get joy from words and an author I think of in particular is J.K. Rowling. She has a way with words that is just so beautiful. And I picked up a Harry Potter book. It may well have been the first one, actually. And I just read the first sentence and I just had to read the next one and the next one and just keep reading because her writing was just so beautiful and it really kind of got to me quite deeply. And I think that wouldn't necessarily happen with every book, but that is also a part when we're talking about the joy of reading Mm -hmm. That is definitely true for me. Mm, And there are just some sentences which I'll just go back and read again and reread because they're just so beautiful to me. So that is also a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I know I've sat in wonder at reading some books and some sentences and just wondered, how is it that they went so deep into an emotion or description or thought to put those words together? And it's so there's something like deep about it. It's both curiosity and, and, and amazement <laughs> for me. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorites recently has been Roald Dahl. Not, I always oh, thought his yeah. name was Ronald Dahl, but no, it's Roald Dahl. And he wrote, for people who are not familiar with who this person is, he wrote James and the Giant Peach and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And my son and I are really loving going back to his lesser known works Danny Champion of the World is the one we read most recently. And there's just such, like, how, you get to see how this guy is thinking. And I, I can't even imagine. He must have been the most interesting person. Like, mm-hmm. I would love to talk to him. He's, it's amazing. No, definitely. He, I would say he does have a good imagination. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is amazing what he creates. Yeah. And you can see the weirder end of his spectrum, like with the twits. And then he kind of reins it in on some of the the better known work. So yeah. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> would you like to tell us about what it is that you do now and, and who you work with? What I do now is supporting people, introverts and highly sensitive people, and really anybody who feels like they don't kind of fit in, in the way the world is trying to sort of mold them or tell them they should be. And I focus on introverts and highly sensitive people just because that's something that I personally have experience of. And I'm a coach for them, helping them live life true to themselves, just be who they are really. And as an extension of that, to create anything specific that they want to bring into the world. I know you and I have talked a lot or a little about some of the ways that the world expects us all to show up and how the world values extrovertedness, perhaps more than introvertedness. And Do you want to give us a lay of the land of how you feel like that impacts people who are introverted and maybe feel like they have to show up a different way? Yeah, thank you for asking that. 
And this is where the kind of labels do get a little bit difficult to work with and difficult things get conflated. Because I've personally had a lot of anxiety, I sometimes think around self-doubt. And it isn't true that introverts or highly sensitive people necessarily have more self-doubt than extroverts or that extroverts wouldn't experience self-doubt. But for me, personally, it's a little bit wrapped up together. But I think you're right that North America and the European kind of world that I live in, I don't think it's necessarily the same in Asia, but it does value extrovert traits. And those are the people, the people who speak up, the people who are more dominant, they do tend to get ahead. And I suppose I'm thinking more in a corporate or a work environment. Sure. There'll be the people who will be recognized for their contributions at work and perhaps the people who get put into leadership positions. And I think it's the messages that we receive that that's how you need to be to get ahead or to give a valuable contribution. Or thinking about the world of self-employment, particularly like coaching, service-based business and marketing around that. There's a lot of messaging out there that says we need to kind of be very noisy and very visible and kind of putting yourself out there and constantly talking to people and doing things in a specific set way. And it's yeah. very, and it can be challenging for people to feel that it's okay to do things their way or to feel that it might be useful to do things their way or that it might actually create results. So it, it's just supporting people to approach those situations from the inside and what do you want to do and how do you want to be rather than looking outside and saying what do I need to be what do I need to do and coming out from behind a mask or putting on any kind of persona to get approval or to be liked or to feel that that's what you need to do to get ahead. I know I deeply appreciate your explanation of introvertedness or <laughs> again the labels do kind of fail us so yeah because I know I am an outgoing person and um, you've taught me a lot about how you know other people think and and how to welcome in someone who is different than myself in a way that I hadn't really considered so I'm really glad we're having this conversation <laughs> thank you so much because I know I'm very bubbly and bouncy and you know I, I have a lot of extroverted traits so it's it's a real treat to get to learn about other ways of being so thank you mm. oh you're welcome it, Carl Jung I think coined the terms extrovert and introvert and I think really the definitions are that extroverts get more energy from being with people and being in social situations and interacting and introverts as I say, like me, we mm -hmm. retreat into solitude to recharge our batteries. And I think those are the actual definitions. And I think they probably come with some kind of other things like I probably do prefer to spend time alone doing things, whereas an extrovert probably just enjoys spending more time with people anyway. And I'm more quietly spoken, perhaps, and take more time to think about things. I'm not mm -hmm. sure that those are actually part of the specific definition but mm -hmm. those things seem to be part and parcel of what it means to be on those sort of opposite ends of the spectrum and of course it is a spectrum so it's not like anybody yeah. would be 100% introvert or 100% extrovert or necessarily exhibit those traits all of the time but we need language just to sort of try and understand. I really love that you're bringing up 
the nuance of what the trait is and what it probably the original intended meaning and then that there are additional specific things that seem to go around or that get commingled maybe with the original like I get my energy from from an internal downtime kind of source or I get my energy from an external um, spending time amongst others source because it's very interesting to me I think part of the thing that I've unpacked recently is that I actually am more of an introvert, but I'm very outgoing, which is <laughs> so confusing to me and most people. <laughs> but it, it's really interesting. And I think I like being in front of people and being on the stage and I like performing, but I'm not as comfortable actually with large gatherings as maybe some people would assume just by who I um, present as, which is bizarre to me as well. <laughs> Yeah, that's very interesting because, I, again, I think a lot of people think that introvert also equates to shy and it doesn't at all. Mm, right. And the mm. fact that people might assume, yes, an introvert doesn't want to, you know, get up on the stage and speak to hundreds of people. So it is important, I think, to recognize that those those kind of ideas of people aren't true. Yeah, I love that you're breaking that down, too, because you're right. It's it doesn't it doesn't mean that as an introvert or an extrovert any of us have to fit the mold in any way, right? Yeah, I mean I love that you bring that up because you know the whole thing that my whole shtick is like be who you are, do what you want, do your thing your way, and then I kind of start to pigeonhole people as in oh well if you're an introvert you'll do this, mm. you want to do it this way or you want to do it that way, and and I I kind of realize I'm walking a fine line really, but it is exactly that people will just do their thing in their way and the preconceived ideas of what I'm just trying to get away from and thinking about you being in front of the stage I think kind of more the definition of an introvert and an extrovert would be that having spoken on a large stage like that an extrovert might be more inclined to hang around afterwards and kind of hang out and have drinks with people whereas mm. an introvert probably be back in their room you know, on their own 20 minutes afterwards. So it's that kind of thing that's the difference. Yeah, yeah, that's really well put. And I think that there's a nuance in there for me that I just even put together like literally yesterday, which was uh, just what you said is I'm totally, I love being in front of people when I've got something to perform, but I don't really like sharing too much of myself. So mm-hmm. very interesting. I think that's, a lovely segue too into both the name of your podcast and how your podcast came about. I know you um, were very intentional about choosing Quietly Bohemian as the name. Would you like to explain what that means to you? It's interesting that you say I was very intentional about it because it kind of downloaded into my brain that title um, just out of nowhere one day. I've been searching and searching and searching for the right name for ages. But I chose it because the quiet part does sort of speak to introverts and people who are quieter, but it also speaks to the idea that I like to help people go quiet and turn down the volume on that kind of the ego, the chatter, sort of inner critic that wants to keep us small or keep us hidden or stop Mm -hmm. us from doing the things that we want to go out and do and to listen to that quiet voice, that whisper from the soul or our inner wisdom. So there's a kind of double meaning to quiet there. Mm -hmm. And the bohemian part is really just talking about 
doing things in our own way. So not the sort of mainstream way or the conventional way or the traditional way, and just breaking free from our ideas of either what we should be doing or the way in which we should be doing it. It's a brilliant name. Because I know when we first even started talking about it a little bit, when you shared what it was, there's also a nice kind of, I don't know if it's really attention, but you might not expect those two words to go together, right? Yes. I, yeah, I, yeah, that is true. I've not really thought of it in that way, but I think that, yeah, that does um, seem true. Yeah. It makes me curious every time still when I hear it. <laughs> I think it's a, a really great name. What kinds of things have you really enjoyed talking about on your show or what's brought the most maybe joy to you in in being uh, quietly bohemian the things that I've enjoyed talking about on my show I didn't really have an intention I don't think at the start to talk about an inside out understanding of life but that seems to be how it's developed because that is my view of the world and that the inside out understandings briefly is the idea that we don't live in and objective reality our life isn't the outside circumstances of our life everything is created from the inside by our thoughts by the way we think about what's happening to us so for example there's no objective reality that a situation for example would be stressful because it's only the way you think about something that creates the stress so let's talk about public speaking for example so a lot of people are excited by public speaking and some people find it stressful so that whether it's exciting to you or stressful to you is all created by the way you think about it. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've tended to talk a little bit about on my podcast. But the thing that really excites me, the thing that brings me the most joy and the way that I exhibit being quietly bohemian, exhibit doing things my way is that aside from the first two episodes, which were kind of an introduction, every single episode in this first season, the title of the episode is a title of a Depeche Mode song. (laughs) <laughs> and I love Depeche Mode. Yeah. I will talk about them forever, given the chance. And I think I don't think I could have actually done this podcast without having that as a starting point, without thinking, I don't know what I'm going to talk about week after week, but I know I'll choose a Depeche Mode song and then I'll be able to use that as a jumping off point. I don't think I could have faced the uncertainty and the nerves and the doubt and got through it without that. And Yeah, that really does bring me a huge amount of joy to take the songs that I've loved listening to, the songs that in themselves bring me joy, Mm -hmm. and talk about how I interpret the lyrics that Martin Gore has written and what they mean to me, and then use that as an example or an expression of my coaching, of the inside-out understanding of how we can step into creativity and possibility, be who we want to be our authentic selves and do the things we want to do. Yeah. That is what I do on my podcast. And I do that because when I did your wonderful course, jumpstart your podcast, that is what you said to us. It's your podcast. You can do whatever you want with it. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gave me the permission to say, I don't know of anybody else who does a podcast in this way. And I don't know if there are enough people interested in learning these things that also want to hear me banging on about Depeche Mode every week. (laughs) But, you know, I'm just doing my thing. And I want this podcast to be somewhere where people can come and hear about insights that I've had and hear encouragement for them to go and do the same thing. But I was the one thing I was intentional about and very clear from the beginning is I wanted it to be an example of me 
doing the very thing that I'm talking about. I didn't just want it to be an intellectual kind of book exercise of, oh, well, I'm going to talk about things that feel scary, but you can go and do them. I wanted to say, look, this is me doing the very thing week after week that I'm telling you, you can go and do. And that's so powerful because I love that it's, it kind of goes meta on itself, but, and that you're aware of it, right? That it's like, you're both talking about it and working through it. And I think that is really lovely. I mean, it isn't easy to put out a podcast (laughs) at all for anyone probably. (laughs) And I mean, it's really lovely. And thank you for saying, you know, for talking about the class a little bit, because I think it is really important as each of us do a show that it is true to what we love and and what we want to talk about and that it's true to the conversation we want to have in the world. So thank you for saying yes to it. <laughs> oh, the, my show wouldn't exist without your course. I know that 100%. Aww. So thank you for creating it. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> I think it's interesting too, because I there have been several episodes in, in my back catalog. And for anyone listening, it's admittedly kind of a, a random set of musicians, you know, I still need to have Boy George on. I'm looking at you, Boy George. You're on someday. But like, I, and I would also love to have OMD on, who was kind of my Britpop. OMD. (laughs) My Britpop love affair of the 80s. Because I think there's something that's so amazing that touches our soul. and, And I think this gets back to the nugget we were talking about earlier about how when somebody writes a lyric and I can marvel at a line from a song for years, like literally years, and go back to it. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if that's some of the dance that Depeche Mode has with your heart, or if you want to explain a little bit more about, I don't, it's hard to say, like, what do they mean to you or if there's some lyrics that stand out to you. It is part of what I do. Going back to what we were saying at the beginning about, you know, the beauty of words and obviously the written word we talked about and now this because songs are poetry, aren't they? The lyrics mm. of songs are poetry. So, yeah, it is very much what you're saying about how the beauty of some of the lines that he writes do really touch me. But the song's in their entirety as well, and it definitely is a soul connection. I and I feel really connected to him when I listen to his songs, and I feel connected to something bigger than us. I mean, I mm-hmm. would call it God or the Holy Spirit, but it's definitely a spiritual component for me. And I think even if you're not kind of traditionally religiously inclined, I think perhaps we all can kind of sense that awe and that wonder of maybe what you might think of as the creative energy of the universe, the thing that is bigger than us and connects us all together. So I definitely feel that when I listen to this band. But yeah, that is kind of what I do as, as the episodes go through. I pick a song and I tend to pick out parts of the lyric that fit in with the theme of that week's episode. But those parts will often be some of the lyrics that really do touch me. I'm I'm just kind of thinking back to the conversation I had with Fred LeBlanc, who's the lead singer of Cowboy Mouth and not specifically about the conversation other than he, he is as deep as his lyrics are, which it was one of those conversations where it just blew me away when I was able to ask. So I, Martin Gore, you need to come on to <laughs> Laura's podcast because she has questions. I know, but like, I will get him there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you will. It's just interesting because there clearly is like a, 
and to get to ask him about like what inspired you and for him to get into it was really super interesting because I think you're right. It is a, it's a connection to a creative force and to something bigger than all of us. And I get the sense that most songwriters know that, like that they're saying yes to the creative force within all of us mm-hmm. and kind of like your download of your name <laughs> quietly bohemian itself. Yeah. Like it came through you. <laughs> and maybe I, I, a lot of people would say that like, these things don't necessarily come from them, but through them. Yes. Interestingly, two weeks ago, I actually talked about this on the podcast and I said, I think that his creativity, it's not really him. It's he's kind of receiving that and he's allowing it through. And I think, you know, it's an element of an individual who knows if anybody else could have written those songs other than him. So there is something in him as a person but then I think it does come from somewhere beyond us. And he is obviously receptive to that. The one weird thing about this show is, though, I do talk about him every week. I've never met him. I don't know him. And it might be a little bit weird to kind of be talking about somebody and wondering about what they think and what motivated them and what inspired them. And he um, quite famously kind of says he doesn't normally, I don't think, talk about the meanings of his songs because he wants people to interpret them in whatever way is meaningful for them. Mm, yeah. So if he ever does come on, I'm not really sure what we will actually end up talking about, but I am very keen to find that out. I'm anxiously awaiting that episode <laughs> myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I love that you just said though, this idea that, because I love talking about creative process and it's interesting because both from authors and songwriters, I see, I seem to be gravitating towards those two across the five years. But this idea that what the message doesn't necessarily come from the person, but there was something in what you just said about Martin Gore (laughs) that no, he, but he had to have that life experience. Uh, The message might not come directly from him, but it comes through him, but his life and his experience and his willingness to communicate it is in fact key like he, no one else could have written those songs. I don't know where that's going, but it just felt very like, mm, that's a juicy nugget right there. Yeah, it is. I am, um, as I say, week after week, I'm endlessly pondering what makes him write a song about wanting to um, be dominated in bed. What makes him write a song about wanting to be passive in bed? What makes him write a song about everybody is the same. So why are some people discriminated against and bullied and hated Mm. writing a song about a tragic love affair? And I've got no idea whether that's, it seems to me an illicit love affair. So I don't know if that's a married woman or maybe it's another man. Like he's just got such a range of things and it is, it's like, what kind of person can you be to just have all that all those ideas in you and to be able to create those things and bring them forth, you know, writing a love song about how words, and again, this is like we were talking about how labels Mm. are useful in a way because they help us with a common understanding of something we're talking about, but they also separate us because now when I say introvert, I'm putting my idea of what that is onto it and you put your idea of what that is and they could be poles apart. And he writes a love song, enjoy the silence saying, words like violence break the silence because love is a feeling and as soon as you try and put words on that you know you you're then in separation Mm. you know what kind of experience did he have to be able to write that at whatever age he was you know 
in his mid twenties. Right. And you're right there. He can go both the, the range of like kind of angry and hard and loud and seemingly very hurt to also so tender. Like somebody yes. is so, it, I don't know if he wrote ten, that. Sorry. I don't know if he wrote somebody as the lyrics, but that, oh. yes, he did. You mentioned that one on Facebook yeah, a while that's back. that's the song that I use. Somebody was the song I used to talk about his creativity, actually. <sighs> so because it's an amazing love song. And they get accused. I'm going to use the word accused. They get accused of being a really doomy, gloomy band. And I just think, are you listening to the same songs that I'm listening to? Yeah. Like somebody, like tender is such a brilliant word. Well, he actually uses the word in it. He says, I want someone to kiss me tenderly. But yeah. it is a tender love song. I don't see any gloom in that. No, there's no gloom in that song. Those people are wrong. <laughs> they are wrong. They're very wrong. We're yeah. Just well, we're just going to go deep here in the 80s music. Is there some crossover between Depeche Mode and Erasure? Because they both have songs that sound <laughs> melody-wise very similar. Do you? Can you shed any light on that topic? I'm laughing because when you're asking me, is there any crossover? So Vince Clark started in Depeche Mode and he was the songwriter mm. for the first album. He left and he went into Yazoo right with Alison Moyer but I think after that he then was in Erasure so yes there is a kind of crossover because Vince Clark was in both got it yes but it's that early 80s synth pop style I love all of it so you mentioned OMD earlier yeah yeah I love Erasure so yeah it's that it's that kind of genre of music really so that helps a lot and people can go to back catalogs of things. We'll link up to some interesting stuff for you if you were curious about this. Deep dive into um, synth pop. Um, <laughs> Sorry yeah. to come and break your podcast. Oh, I mean, <laughs> truly, I don't think I, so, I mean, if you dive back in, you know that I, people know that I do listen to New Kids on the Block, but yeah, that, that's a whole different topic. But when I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I know Depeche Mode is up, has been nominated for 2019, sorry, being yep. in, initiated this. So please go vote. We'll put that link up too. But mm-hmm. last year when, when I went, uh, my sister voted for New Kids on the Block and I voted for OMD. So there you go. Like I, they really are my very, very favorite band. And I've had the total joy of getting to see them. I've met them a couple of times and seen them like three times. I never saw them before they reunited and started creating music again. And their new music is as good as the old stuff. Yeah. So no, it's totally my pleasure to go <laughs> go into this territory. I don't get to talk about it enough. <laughs> um, it anyway. seems crazy to me though, that they're nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because whilst I think OMD and Depeche Mode are absolutely amazingly brilliant bands, I wouldn't call them rock and roll by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I'm not no. entirely sure what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in terms of the genre and the types of artists that get inducted but you know if it is what it says on the tin it's just even amazing that bands like that would be nominated so well and I think they both should be I mean because really I don't know I think OMD came a little ahead of Depeche Mode as far as synth music went but both of them have influenced modern music in ways that I'm sure none of us can even really articulate like it would not we would not have had I mean, then like easing into like Howard Jones and I'm sure all boy bands, like you just wouldn't have the synth sound if you didn't have all of that afterwards. It's it's true that they were both pioneers. Yeah. And I can't really talk very much about Andy McCluskey and OMD because I don't know. But in terms of Depeche Mode, they have always kind of been outsiders, especially in this country. Yeah. And, you know, they definitely do their own thing. Synth pop 
it was was obviously new when it started and so people made a conscious decision to to sort of take that music and and start that genre and go with that but with Depeche Mode as well the way particularly Martin Gore dressed Mm. I mean that was definitely not mainstream and they didn't really do a lot of interviews I don't think they did a couple of performances on top of the pops but they weren't particularly a kind of available band and so that's another reason why I like to talk about Martin Gore and his songs in terms of being quietly bohemian I mean I definitely would (laughs) I think I I think he is an introvert yeah he seems a quiet person in the few interviews that I've seen him and I definitely would class him as bohemian in terms of the way he dresses and some of the lyrics that he writes but he is also just a really good example I think you know from the way I perceive him as I say I don't know him but just a really good example of somebody who is confident enough to just be who he is and just present that to yeah. the world and of course you know that's what I see so obviously I don't see all the bits of him where he has his doubts because everybody does and so I don't know to what extent he is his true self but he seems to me a person who is confident in being different and just saying you know this is me take it or leave it it's also amazing how he then inspires I mean obviously you but lots of and lots of other people I mean and and I think there's there's a couple of interesting levels to that like I know boy George when I saw him in concert he was saying something about you know, in the 80s, there was no way that he couldn't be who he was. Part of it was because I think it was David Bowie was one of his really big influences. And he was like, if David Bowie hadn't have come and been all of who he was, then I wouldn't have been able to be the person that I was. And he's like, I knew that by dressing the way that I was dressing and making the choices that I was making and being all of who I was in front of other people, I was enabling another group of people, the generation that's coming up, to be who they were. And so I think there's something really interesting when people kind of recognize that they are, I mean, who knows if Boy George is an extrovert or introvert. I kind of wonder if he's not an introvert, just the way he talks, but like he's also very much bohemian in a new way in his own, in his own world. So I think there's something really interesting about that and how it has, yeah, some very interesting parallels in musicians and choices and all that as well. I remember when he was on Top of the Pops that first time with Karma Chameleon. I remember mm. in the school playground the next day, people were just talking about that. Like, did you see that on TV last night? It, he had a massive impact. And, I, you yeah. know, I guess it was mixed, some positive, some not. But I love the way that he says, you know, David Bowie enabled him mm-hmm. to be who he was. And then he will enable other people coming behind him to be who they were. Yeah. It is important. It is. Yeah. And I, I love that he kind of had the knowledge that it might change mm-hmm. other people, but also that he was like, I'm not going to let anyone tell me who I am or what I need to be in this world. Like, nope, <laughs> I'm doing it. Here I go. Like, just so brilliant and so lovely. Maybe we should segue <laughs> into a little bit about some of the coaching that you do. What does transformation mean to you? Yeah, like on the podcast, on the lead that I did, I styled myself a transformational life coach. I thought, oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? And to me, the transformational aspect of it is what I was saying before about the way that our mind works, really, and the way that our mind creates our reality. And my coaching is around helping people understand that. So the transformational part is transforming people's understanding of how the world works, of how their mind works. 
And the focus is very much on that understanding. And some transformational life coaches like to leave it there. That understanding is enough. But for me, I do very much enjoy the creative process as well. So it's about helping people be who they want to be and creating something from that authentic self and with that new understanding of how their mind works. And that frees them up to get away from the doubts and the fear so much. And it helps them move more into their wisdom and into possibility and into creativity. And to get into the act of creation without so much of the worry of having to produce a specific outcome or having to get to a specific place. So that's the kind of transformational model that I'm that I like to work with. I like that. And and I like that it ties into the creative process and and figuring out how that deeper knowing of oneself can also play, if you will, in the world. And and I mean that like literally play, but also like yeah. how, how does it come across and how to how do people experience who they are and have a creative outlet for it. That's really lovely. I feel like there's also something deeper in there too about how we all, gosh, this all keeps like folding back on itself in the most wonderful way, but how the labels of things start to maybe hold us back and how maybe even as we each grew up or like as I grew up and, and heard of things that I was supposed to be or I was supposed to do and, and how that kind of locked me into a way, a way of thinking. And it sounds like some of those things <laughs> are the things that you help people break down and, and relook yes. at it in new ways. That is very, very much in the mix. Like to work with people, the starting point is what do you want to do? And let's strip away all the messages and all the ideas of what that should be and what is it that you want to do and let us use that as the starting point and not, you know, we often put like a rider on the end of it. Like for example, I'm writing a book at the moment. And so in our minds, you know, before we've even finished that sentence in our head, it's like, Oh, I don't know how to write a book. I can't Mm. write a book. And what we're saying is because I don't know if somebody else will enjoy reading it. I don't know if somebody else will buy it. I don't know if somebody else will be interested. So it's like we tag those assumptions on the end that stop us in the creative process at the beginning. And oftentimes I think we don't even know that we're making those assumptions. And so my job as a coach is to kind of unearth those assumptions and help people interrogate them and question them. And are they true? And even if they are true, does it even matter? Do you need to not write your book just Mm -hmm. because somebody might not buy it? So that's very much a part of it. And the label thing is quite important because Whilst I want to work with introverts and highly sensitive people, because I understand that the world kind of wants to push us to one side and ignore us because we don't speak up as loudly as other people or we don't speak up as quickly as other people and we kind of miss our chance and the conversations moved on. And I want to help people who have that experience. But my coaching isn't about like working with somebody who's introverted and helping them understand their introversion or helping them overcome it not that that's actually a thing that they need to do or help them kind of work with it again I think it comes back to the transformation actually it's I'm helping people just be who they are and talking about and to introverts is just about starting a conversation with people who might see something in my view of the world my experience and my way of coaching that makes them want to take a step into that. But the coaching isn't about being an introvert. It is about just doing whatever you want to do. And let's leave that introvert part behind because I could have said, there is no way I can start a podcast 
because I'm introverted, I can't put myself out there week after week to all these people because yes, there are millions of people listening to Quietly Bohemian, but in your head, when I in my head when I'm recording it, it's kind of like I'm imagining all these people who could be out there kind of judging it. And, you know, because I'm highly sensitive and it's really awkward for me to just talk into a microphone on my own and to have to think of things to say and my mind goes blank as soon as I switch the microphone on. I could have used all of those as reasons why I can't start a podcast and none of those are true. So again, that transformation is just to help people step outside of the constriction of a label. So so I like to use the label as a way to accept kind of how you are in the world, but not to restrict how you are in the world. Yeah. Ooh, that's really good. And as you're saying it, I'm thinking because our inner critic or our whatever, whatever you want to call that side of our person, they that side of me loves to grab on to those labels that would say, I can't do the thing. Like, it's another way that it's working against me. <laughs> the, the labels or whatever, like, you know, the the who are you two is, is my, my inner critic's favorite question. And that one will shut me down almost every time. And now that I'm familiar with it, obviously, I can work with it. But then all the labels get thrown to me. And it would be really easy to listen and think, Oh yeah, that's right. I don't know what I'm doing. Or that's right. I I don't have a background in this. But you know what? None of that mattered. <laughs> so I love that. That's the thing that you're helping people with is that that you get to set up the rules for who you are, and the labels don't really matter at all because they're just words. Yep. Mm, so good. <laughs> I think I just growled. <laughs> Might be a first. Judy. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, that there was so much. There's so much goodness in that, and and it's so interesting how the conditioning of life will just really kind of bring us to our knees. Sometimes it's just really, it's amazing. Part of the transformation as well is seeing the conditioning because we all know that there's conditioning and messages we're receiving, but there's always, I think, something more that we're not seeing. So it's like I said about those assumptions that we're making that we can't see and you know, again, part of transformational coaching is helping people to just uncover each deeper layer of where there's a conditioning or a message or an assumption that that's restricting them that they're not aware of and just opening up that awareness to it. That is amazing stuff. Thank you for doing that work. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I'm wondering if somebody wants to work with you, where can they find you and what what else do you have going on right now? They can find the Quietly Bohemian podcast, iTunes and Spotify and any other their chosen podcast provider. Mm-hmm. My website is Quietly Bohemian. And I'm also on Facebook, Laura Lai, Quietly Bohemian. And what I've got cooking at the moment is there's a big thing at the moment. We're in Advent. So there's a big thing about finish your year big and reflect on the year. And, you know, let's set some goals and start the new year, the new decade with a bang. And I don't have any time for that because I'm making mince pies, I'm drinking cocktails, I'm preparing to be 50 on Christmas Eve. So Mm. I'm pretty busy. Yeah. So we're doing the bohemian thing where we're doing all of that reflecting and goal setting, but we're starting in the middle of January. So I've kind of got a creating in community program coming up called Creating for the Masses, which will start third week in January. So that's Mm. is on my website as well. Yes, I will link up to that. And <laughs> I I know there's a Depeche Mode nod in 
in the creating for the masses title so well yeah season one of the podcast is called conversations for the masses and it's a a play on the depeche mode album music for the masses which in itself is a play on the idea that the music they were creating was not for the masses it wasn't popular it was not mainstream and it appealed to a kind of subset of the musical population so that's kind of my little pastiche on their album title and so I went with conversation for the masses for the podcast and then I just thought oh let's have creating for the masses because again it won't appeal to huge numbers of people and in fact it needs to be kept small to make sure that introverts and highly sensitive people kind of have the space to be seen and heard. I love that so much. So I have a couple last questions for you. What advice or supportive message do you have for someone who might like to bring their own dream into the world? Supportive message I would have is to be guided by your inner wisdom and not by your inner critic. And that's the kind of thing that people would say to me before. And I would be like, yeah, I get that. But how do you actually do that? And it is to just start very small and to know that you can just take the tiniest steps and they will get you there a lot quicker than if you try and make some big splashy step to start with and then it's not sustainable and you end up retreating and kind of not doing anything for months or years on end after it Mm -hmm. so listen to your inner wisdom and just make it as small as it needs to be and you'll know it's the right thing when you still have the fear but you've got an element of excitement that goes with it so that you can't not do the thing. I know for the full first, sometimes it still hits, but like for the full first season of the podcast, I would just tell people, yeah, I'm dancing in between like terrified and delighted. (laughs) There was just no other way. (laughs) Like I just had to keep going. (laughs) Oh, Before the podcast, there was a newsletter and the very first week I wrote it, I like it was terrifying. I mean, we use these words. It's not, it's not like a tiger or a shark, but it feels like a threat to your system. Your ego just goes on red alert. And I, I spent ages before I would hit the publish button that very first week and I hit send and it was, it's in MailChimp. And then this big hand, this big finger came down and it said, are you sure? And I'm like, are you kidding me? No, I'm not sure. Now I had to go through like another hour's worth of like soul searching. Am I sure? Can I actually publish this? Mm-hmm. But you know, it is that mixture of fear But also, yeah, I was really excited. I'd written something. I wanted to share it with people. So it's when you've kind of got that mixture, you'll know it's the right thing. Yes. Well, and then last and most joyfully, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? Well, in my life, jumpstarting joy, I have to say listening to music, don't I? And, And when I say that, I mean actually listening to music. So not just having it on in the background. I remember when I was a kid, my older brother, Saturday mornings, he would listen to music. He would stand in the middle of the room. So I guess the speaker's equidistant. So that's, you know, the best way to enjoy the music. And he would just stand there for an hour or two and listen to music. And I I used to do that and I've stopped doing it. But listening to music and really getting into that definitely is a joyful thing for me. As an introvert, alone time is a joy for me. And I think that is really important because once you allow yourself the time to take a step back and recharge your batteries, it allows, I think, other things to become more joyful in your life as well. So recharging your batteries is joyful in itself, but it allows that joy to kind of diffused through the rest of your life. And I think what I've really noticed as well 
since I have started living this way and doing much more of what I want to do and allowing myself to be seen for who I am, there is a freedom in that that is very difficult to explain to somebody who either has never experienced that really kind of trying to hide themselves or who has never experienced the kind of coming out of that shell. But just that freedom and lightness in relaxing into doing the things that I want to do in the way that I want to do them. And just silly things like just saying the thing that comes into my head rather than as soon as it comes into my head, censoring it and giving myself reasons why, oh, you shouldn't say that. That is a choice that we have to make time and time again throughout the day, throughout the week. But allowing myself to be more of who I am has brought a joy into my life that I really just didn't even know existed. So mm-hmm. I think that is something that could bring joy into people's lives. Yeah. Practicing mm. more of that. Thank you. Yeah. That that was so well stated. Thank you so much for being on the show, Laura. It's been such a treat to have you on. Thanks, Paula. It's been lovely to be here. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you want to find out more about this episode, including links to the things that we've talked about, you can find the show notes at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And you can search for this episode right up there in the right-hand corner of the website. and You'll find it. While you're on the website, I know you're going to want to sign up for my weekly newsletter, which is Three Joyful Things where I take a look and give you guys the behind the scenes of what I'm really thinking about with each episode, including the inspiration, intention, and action, along with the choices that you can make in your own life to bring some of the things that each guest or I share into your everyday life. So it's a lot of fun. You can find the sign up for that off the homepage or within the show notes of every episode. And I would love to connect with you. I hang out a ton on Instagram where my handle is jumpstartyourjoy. You can also find the Facebook page for this podcast at jumpstartyourjoy. So I hope you guys will come on back next week. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.